1: During this podcast, we'll discuss Mount Sinai's Hospital at Home or Mobile Acute Care Demonstration Project. With me to discuss the topic is Chief Medical Officer at Mount Sinai Care and VP of Hospital Services Utilization, Dr. Jeffrey Farber. Jeff, welcome. Thank you for your time.
0: Thank you, David, for having me.
1: Dr. Farber's bio is posted, of course, on the podcast website. On background, Per the CDC, approximately 35 million Americans are discharged from a hospital each year. Another 700,000, or one-third of all deaths annually, occur during a hospitalization. Hospital care, of course, is expensive. We spend over $900 billion, or one-third of all health care spending, on hospital services. In 2013, 25% of the $583 billion total Medicare spending went to reimburse hospitals. Despite the cost of quality, hospital care can be poor, if not harmful. In a study published in the Journal of Patient Safety in 2013, the author concluded there were between 200 and 440,000 patients hospitalized annually whom are fatally harmed. Beyond the cost and quality, according to the Federal Agency of Healthcare Research and Quality, approximately 10% of all hospital admissions for certain chronic and acute conditions including diabetes, respiratory conditions, bacterial pneumonia, and urinary tract infections are avoidable. Not surprisingly, 60% of these avoidable hospital conditions are from Medicare patients, or phrased another way, preventable Medicare-covered stays are three times more likely than preventable private insurance-covered stays. With me again, then, to discuss Mount Sinai's effort to keep its patients out of the hospital via its hospital-at-home demonstration is Dr. Jeffrey Farber. So with that, uh, Jeff, um, let's start with just a basic, simple question. How did your hospital at home or mobile acute care program come about?
0: Uh, Well, thank you, David. Again, that's a a great question. We uh, here at Mount Sinai in New York City have been working for many years uh, on developing a lot of innovative care programs that are really focusing um, primarily, though not exclusively, on those who are most vulnerable, the, the highest risk. Uh, the highest utilizers you know the frail uh, vulnerable often older adults um who are at highest risk for the adverse outcomes that you mentioned uh that unfortunately we we see all too common uh with patients that interact with the healthcare system so our submission to CMMI uh for funding on this second round of funding to develop and test this mobile acute care team uh came out of a background of similar types of care innovations uh, for similar populations of patients.
1: Okay, thank you. So let's go to those patients. Uh, what patients with what diagnosis are eligible or in the program, and what then services do they receive?
0: Sure. So uh, what we are targeting is care for patients who meet inpatient admission criteria. So they're, they're sick enough that they require hospital services for common, important medical conditions, and and they include the following. Uh, pneumonia, community-acquired pneumonia. That is, uh, heart failure exacerbations, exacerbations of chronic lung disease, uh, including asthma and COPD, urinary tract infections, uh, diabetes, cellulitis being uh, an infection of the of the skin and superficial tissues, dehydration, and uh, DVT and or PE, pulmonary embolism.
1: Okay, what then are the demo's uh, goals? obviously to keep the patients out of the hospitals,
0: but what else? Right. So essentially what we are doing with this model is offering patients who do need hospital-level care that level of care in the comfort of their homes. So patients will receive, as they would in the hospital, uh, IV antibiotics uh, and other IV therapies, uh, IV fluids, nursing care, um, nutritionist care, physical therapy care, uh, doctor visits, uh, of course, Um, other medicines, um, durable medical equipment that they need, special hospital beds, supplemental oxygen, um, monitoring such as blood tests, and imaging studies that are done can be done in the comfort of their home. So we're offering them an entirely comprehensive substitute for care that they need for this acute illness as opposed to being in the hospital we deliver in the home. And the goals are really to advance the AAA. We, we believe that this care will be more uh, beneficial to patients in terms of the patient experience and the patient satisfaction. Uh, being in their familiar environment uh, will also lead to higher quality care. There'll be less, uh, we think, room for errors, um, mistakes that are made in, in, in busy hospital settings. Uh, we think that patients will be at less risk for what we call hospital uh, associated conditions or hazards of hospitalization. Most notably, these include, uh, delirium. So, you know, acute confusion from being both ill and in an unfamiliar environment, falls, um, confusion and both, you know, agitation and, and, and over sort of sedation, uh, pressure ulcer injury, uh, and the like. And then finally, we feel that we can do this, uh, at a lower total cost of care, uh, to the system.
1: Now this idea, now that we've discussed it a bit, this idea goes back some years, still highly, I would imagine, uncommon. Do you have any sense of who's doing this or whom else? And, of course, the rate-limiting step being uh, reimbursement recognized, but are others or what awareness do you have of others trying to do this as well?
0: That's exactly right, David. The, The issue here, like many issues that we see in medicine, is that the incentives based on the reimbursement system that's been in place long standing, essentially a fee for service model since the creation of Medicare in 1965, does not allow for or promote or incentivize this type of care. Uh, and so, therefore, there's not a lot of this type of care happening, which is one reason that we were able to successfully obtain funding from CMMI to try this on and, and pilot on a rather large scale. Now, you're right, this did start. Uh, the first published reports of a hospital at home model was done out in Johns Hopkins. Um, by a, a physician, Bruce Leff, out there, who's done terrific work, uh, and we consulted, and hell, and, and he helped us quite a bit uh, on our application and our uh, devising our program here. And there's also a system out in Albuquerque, uh, in the southwest, who's been doing this as well uh, with their program.
1: Okay. We also,
0: and the reason I think that that we, you know, are also poised to do this, as I mentioned in the beginning, not just because of our history of these innovative care designs, but we have a very large. Uh, um, home-based visiting doctors program. It's the largest visiting doctors uh, academic program in the country with well over a 1,000, I think now close to 1,200 patients who are homebound uh, who receive their medical care in the comforts of their home because they're not able to make it into the office uh, for office visits. And so we pair that service and that expertise uh, with the other services we need to provide the medical care for these patients during these episodes in their home.
1: So in some ways, it was an extension of or leveraging that program as well.
0: Absolutely. I don't think we would be uh, in the same position uh, and comfortable providing this care without that existing infrastructure and and comfort with the quality that we have in reaching patients in their home, having uh, access 24-7 to our doctors in case there are issues that arise. That being a platform and knowing that we have that as a foundation enabled us to feel comfortable saying, you know, we think we can do this because providing outpatient home care for patients that need office visits is very different uh, than than acute-level hospital care for someone who's got this uh, serious acute illness. Mm -hmm, mm
1: -hmm. Now, there are uh, possible concerns about this, and my understanding is primarily is that these patients have to be carefully screened to qualify for this program. I'm assuming uh, that is the case?
0: Yeah, that's exactly right, David. It's not... Amenable, really, for everyone you know so we we have a, a careful process that we exactly as you said we get the referrals from doctors, case managers, social workers, and other team members in our emergency room and in our RETU, which is our rapid evaluation and treatment unit that is our outpatient observation unit uh, that we have here in the hospital and so we screen first based on you know who's there, who's seeing the patients and say oh this this patient might be eligible let's say it's a patient with community-acquired pneumonia as the working diagnosis. And then we call in the team, the MAC team, who'll come to the bedside and have a conversation with the patient, look through the records, and say, well, does the patient have uh, appropriate supports at home? You know, is there someone there, a caregiver, whether family, otherwise paid, unpaid, that's going to be able to help and partner with the care team to ensure the patient's comfort at home? Do they have a stable home environment? Do they have a working telephone service so that, that we can reach us? in between the visits that we're going to provide. Uh, Plus, the severity of the illness of the pneumonia. You know, what factors uh, does the patient have? Do they seem to be, are we solid about the the diagnosis? Do we feel comfortable that that's it? And do we already see that the patient's responding to initial therapy, whether in the emergency room or the observation unit, and, and we feel there's a good chance that the patient will continue to do well with this? Or do we think, you know, I'm not really sure. I think it's pneumonia, I'm treating it, but I don't see the classic um, findings that I do on on the evaluations, like X-rays and blood tests, and and there could be I could be wrong here, and so I'm going to start treating and and watch closely and see, and maybe that patient's not uh, appropriate then. So there are you know a, a larger pool of patients who, on the face, have a diagnosis that looks like it could be appropriate, but as you said, there's a lot of careful screening involved uh, to go home. Plus, of course, the patient's consent, and we have to explain what this is and why we're doing it, and and. Um, most, but not everybody, you know, is comfortable with that.
1: Yeah, I'd imagine most people would prefer to stay out of the hospital, correct, yes. You did yeah. mention CMMI, so this is the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. They're funding the project. Uh, tell me how long the funding, uh, how long is this program up and running relative to the yep.
0: funding? Yep, so we uh, received about $9.5 million of funding to do this for Medicare fee-for-service patients over a three-year period of time. At the same time, we've also negotiated an arrangement with a um, managed Medicare and Medicaid provider in our neck of the woods, Health First, so that we also provide these services to their patients. Um, our plan as well is to expand to another one of our system hospitals and develop a study, a real research study, a rigorous study where we enroll patients uh, and we enroll controls
1: They'd
0: have a a randomized control trial. Yeah. I don't know, you know, not not exactly as a a traditional randomized control trial because we do need patients' consent to go there, and we can't sort of consent them and say, okay, well, you're not going or or, you don't want to go, but we're going to send you. But we can enroll and and do many of the components of the program with similar matched uh, patients based on their diagnosis, their age, their comorbidities, and then follow them prospectively as opposed to, you know, looking back retrospectively and see how they do in terms of care quality Costs, length of stay, uh, readmission rates, uh, and the like.
1: And how many patients, what's the numerator here? How many patients, well, I'll ask both sides. So how many in the program, and what's that relative to the number of beds? Uh, so what's the numerator and denominator on this?
0: Yeah, it's a great question, and it's pretty new here. So, you know, we really started uh, in earnest with the program up to speed in late February, early March. So it's only been a couple months. Uh, we've had now just shy of about 20 patients who have been enrolled in the program. And uh, there are many more that are available. And one of the big challenges that we're finding now early on in the first few months is that uh, the logistics are more difficult than we had anticipated. So, you know, patients will come in 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, to do the screening, the enrollment, arrange for the transportation, to ensure that the pharmacy delivers meds that are needed, oxygen equipment, you know uh, uh other deliverables in the home coordinate with nurses so that they can meet the patient upon arrival as well in the home and do the intake just like you would for a patient going upstairs to a hospital bed is trickier uh than it may sound and and can't be done 24/7 whereas in the hospital of course it can be done so there are a lot of patients that uh, just from timing you know we're not able to safely enroll and and so we don't uh so the real numerator so far has been, like I said, just shy of 20 patients, whereas the potential denominator, just looking at the insurance and diagnoses, would be several-fold more. One thing that we're also finding that we weren't uh entirely anticipating in the beginning is some folks, not many, but some who are approached uh, don't like the concept. They get nervous about it, feel comforted by being in the hospital, and or caregivers get nervous about it and sometimes actually You know, anticipate and in a sense look forward to the break from the burden of caregiving by having the patient in a, in a hospital setting where they can visit on their own terms and when they're not visiting feel, you know, some, some, some relief, right? Uh, A respite.
1: Right, right. Hospital uh, care for one is respite care for another. Right.
0: Right. So that's, that's part of it as well. And, uh, it's a very complex you know, psychosocial medical uh interplay, which makes this really exciting, uh uh very fun. And we're well, obviously learning a lot as we go along. This is pretty early, as I said, mm-hmm. uh in the stage.
1: Well let me just ask, despite the fact that you're up and running for just a few months, are there any uh outcomes or results, however um, anecdotal that are you willing to share?
0: Sure. I mean, what I can say, and, and we don't have the financials yet, but we will, and we fully intend to study and publish this, is that uh, none of these patients to date have required uh, admission, hospital admission. So everyone who was selected and agreed and was transported to the comfort of their home and had the services provided and their total acute episode in the home, nobody said, n- n- it never happened yet that somebody got sicker and was unable to be safely continued to be cared for at home, and so was brought to the hospital for continued hospitalization. They all successfully completed the episodes in their home, were discharged from the mobile acute care team just like they would have been discharged from the hospital, um, and but were already at home.
1: So I imagine the for the patient and the family caregiver, the satisfaction is pretty high.
0: Yeah, and and those that and again, especially those that have had uh, experiences in the hospital. You know, many folks, it, it's a scary place. Uh, it's an unfamiliar environment, and especially with the Medicare population being older adults, uh, it can be it can be frightening and very anxiety-provoking. And so, being in your home, where the environment is familiar, you know where things are. There aren't a lot of uh, people coming and going throughout the day and night that who you don't know who they are. That can get you nervous uh, and and increase your risk for delirium. It, it's a much more comforting setting.
1: I have to ask, though, what about the providers providing care in the home? What's been their response or reaction? Now, certainly home health providers, this is what they do, but for those not accustomed to visiting the home, what's been their response to date?
0: Yeah, great question, David. You know, so primarily the the bulk of the care is through nursing and physician visits, and and our physicians and the nurses who uh, do the home visits through the Visiting Nurse Service of New York, um, this is what they do. This is their sweet spot. You know, they're comfortable with this. They know how to navigate uh, the streets of Manhattan to get to the patients. They know uh, how to work, you know, in apartment buildings and get to people's homes, and they're comfortable with it. Uh, the the other agencies that we contract with to provide services, like if we need uh, x-ray or ultrasound done or lab tests done, they also do this. That's what they do. You know, they have a, a van, you know, for for imaging, let's say, and they'll bring the equipment to the home. So it's not new for anybody. But piecing it all together uh, and coordinating this and trying to time visits together and communicating better um, is is really what this is about. So that you can provide the whole complete package of services like you would in a hospital in the home. So the pieces have been in existence, um, but the organized bundle of care per se. For an acute episode, uh, that's what's really new about this. So, like again, it's been done elsewhere, but not too many places, and that's that's why we're studying this and got the funding for it.
1: Right. This brings care coordination to a whole new level.
0: Yeah, exactly, and 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 it does involve, you know, the family. Uh, it's true, and and you could look at it as well. This is a burden on family, right? Because otherwise, they'd have some respite care, um, or you could look at it as this is a, a wonderful relief for family who are. Likewise scared when, when, when their loved one is in the hospital and they don't have access and can't be there to comfort and support and care for uh and know, you know, that they're getting good care throughout the day because they have limited, you know, visiting hours or et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it really is uh individualized, you know, experience and that's part of the, the information that we're gathering and we'll track and, and, and look forward to reporting on.
1: Let me just as a final question ask you this. What's now I realize this is a guesswork. Uh, question largely, but what's your hope or expectation relative to how pervasive or how large you can grow this program just within your own institution? Let's forget about what sort of the regional or national implications might be.
0: Yeah, I mean, David, it's a great question. And back to my uh, comment earlier about the the fee-for-service system not laying a foundation that enables this type of care, I'm optimistic that we're moving to a different paradigm here uh and, and in a fee for value world where there's a total cost of care concept and providers in a sense take on more of that uh risk, risk being you know financial risk for, for the total cost of care of managing populations of patients over time, uh whether it's the, the, the ACO model or more of a capitated uh model with the per member per month, you know, risk adjusted payment, that then enables you to have uh the business model, right, to, to advance this model. And so we're hopeful that, A, you know, we want to study this rigorously so that we can, you know, hopefully make the case and share the information publicly through peer-reviewed journals that, you know, this works, and then here are the important criteria that we're looking at and the outcomes and that matter to patients uh, and the care quality and the cost. And then, you know, we would want to offer this to lots of eligible folks, right? So whether it's through uh, insurers that we contract with and uh, they'll have better rates. You know, patients will have better experiences again and, and better outcomes and, and lower costs. And so we, we really hope that we can scale this and be a, a big offering uh, that we can have you know, throughout our system. Right now, we're starting with our main hospital, Mount Sinai Hospital, the Academic Medical Center in Manhattan. And again, we'll expand and enroll in a, in a pilot for a study at a second hospital. But we've got seven hospitals in our system. And Medicare is not the only uh, payer in town. So we want to be able to provide this care for for everybody uh, who could potentially benefit.
1: Great. Well, Dr. Farber, thank you so much for explaining the program. I certainly wish you every success.
0: Thank you, David. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archived program, please visit our website thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.